Welcome back, everybody, to Keyhole Conversations with myself, Marcus, and I have a very special guest on the show today calling in all the way from Nantucket. Am I correct, Flynn? Yeah, almost. I just moved out to Montana, so I am now a Montana transplant. Um, missing the island, though, a little bit lately. Are you? God, you, you are very inspiring to me in that you are in your late 20s, correct? Yeah, I'm 26. 26. So mid-20s. And you've already, you've moved from, was your home state Utah? So actually, my home state would be Washington. Um, I was born in Seattle, and then I moved down to Naples, Florida, lived there for 12 years, lived in Utah for 10. I've lived in Portland, Oregon, Austin, Texas, Nantucket, and now here we are in Montana. Now there you are in Montana. You've you have literally moved to almost every corner of the United States. I know. I know. <laughs> it's interesting. What um what prompted all the moving around when you were a child? Was a family member in the military or anything like that, or just kind of something that happened? Um yeah, my dad was in the wine industry, is in the wine industry. And so he kind of moved around as he got offers to work at different resorts. So after I was born, um, he was offered a job in Aspen, Colorado. And so we actually lived there for like a hot second. And then he was offered a job down in Naples at, I forget the name of the hotel, it was a fancy hotel chain um, as the sommelier. And so he accepted that job offer and we moved down there. And then I think the move to Utah was prompted by the housing crisis and, you know, the crash in 2008. So I think my parents were just kind of getting fed up with that. They didn't want to keep their houses and live in debt and, you know, the banks were going under. So they wanted to be closer to supporting family members. And I had grandparents out in Utah. So we uh, we moved out there and yeah. And Utah is where you spent most of your late teens and early 20s, correct? Yes. Yeah. A lot of my later formative years in Utah. <laughs> Did you enjoy your time in Utah or was does Utah leave a bad taste in your mouth? Because I know a lot of people when they leave Utah, they're like, oh, it's so nice to be outside of that highly regulated state, which is controlled by, you know, the religious powers that be. Yeah, you know, I was lucky enough to, after high school, find my place in a counterculture. And so while I do have those kind of memories from when I was still in school, I think they have been sort of balanced out by the memories that I made doing, you know, fire spinning and festivals and EDM raves and, you know, that, that kind of cooler stuff about Utah, which there's a huge community of that there. So it's kind of a mixed bag of, of memories and emotions from my time there. Gotcha. And that's kind of how we initially met. I do photography and I remember we, I had wanted to um, do a photo shoot with you doing the fire spinning stuff. And mm -hmm. for some reason it fell through the cracks. I think you were actually like moving at that time as well. Mm -hmm. Something was going on, but um, what got you into that culture of the, do you call it the fire community? Like the spinning community? 
like yeah yeah the flow flow community and then like under that umbrella is so many different um you know like jugglers and circus performers and burlesque performers and fire performers and um i think it just all kind of happened really quickly honestly i was if i'm being completely honest i was doing a lot of uh, drugs <laughs> i was you know abusing a lot of drugs um and that led me down a certain path but along that path i started going to festivals and at this one festival it was a lunar fest it was put on by uh, a local production company they were great but um yeah i went there and and i saw my first fire spinner and his name's colby gomez i'm not sure maybe you know him from the community I, I'm not too versed in that community, honestly. Mm. I know you and one of my other friends, uh, Sunny, who are the two oh, people yeah. that I know that spin fire, and that's it. I think she actually turned me on to you and was like, I don't want to do photos, but I know this uh, lady named Flynn that might want to do them for you. And I was like, okay, yeah, give me her contact details. And that's how we kind of connected. But Yeah, yep, I think that's exactly it. Um, yeah, I love Sunny. Um, I spun with her and Fire Tribe for a little bit. Yeah, that's right. She was part of that uh, that group. And I remember I had actually, she did some fire spinning at uh, one of my parties once and she was really good. I was so mm -hmm. surprised. And what you guys do takes a lot of talent, not something I would mess around with. I can just see myself getting burned left and right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and you do, you do along the way. Like even some of the best fire performers, they still burn themselves. It's just part of the thing. You know, you wear the wrong material, you catch fire for a second, the rest of you catch, like, it happens all the time. And it's definitely a learning curve. But so when you first got into it, you kind of got influence from this Colby guy? Yeah, yeah. He's a contact staff spinner. He also does juggling, um, double staffs. He's very talented. And I was watching him perform and afterward I was just like, man, I want to do that. And so, uh, I actually started with a stick, <laughs> just a regular stick. Oh, really? Just what, something you found out in like the yard or something? Um, it's interesting. So you've been to Sugar House Coffee, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there used to be this guy and I wish I could remember his name. He was the sweetest man. He actually kind of lived in the surrounding area, not in any one specific location. He was kind of, you know, I don't want to say homeless, but, you know, he just it was he was a wanderer. Mm -hmm. um, and behind Sugar House Coffee, you know, there's that little bit of like wild land that goes up the hill. Yeah. Um, so he he would find sticks back there and he would whittle them and sell them to people just at the coffee shop as kind of like totem sticks or walking sticks or whatever. So I approached him and I was just like, hey, you know, I, I would like to learn this art form and I need a staff. And he walked on back behind the dumpsters into the wild and found a stick and started working on it for me. And I think it took him like a week and here I had like a five foot long, sturdy, balanced, um, pretty even in diameter stick that I just started like spinning anywhere and everywhere. I brought it with me like I'd bring it to work and take my breaks outside and spin it. And it just sort of evolved from there. Wow, that's awesome. Do you still have that original <laughs> stick? 
I'm sure that I do uh, in storage in Salt Lake, which I need to go down and rummage through. But yeah, I'm sure I still have it somewhere. I gotcha. That's that's actually really cool. So you just started learning on your own from this. And it's because when you said stick at first, I was like, how did you learn on something that was unbalanced <laughs> and everything? But he, he actually created it and balanced it and everything for you. And you learned on that. Did you have a mentor or did you just start watching videos or... Um, yeah, so I did Colby definitely mentor. Yeah, um, there is another fire performer, Clayton Allred. Um, and he would hold like little get togethers where we'd go over basics and then, you know, more in depth and fire safety training. And he's actually the maker of my first fire staff. So that's when I kind of like graduated from the stick to the fire staff and started learning you know, real moves and introductory trainings and all of like the groundwork that you need to build upon that. Oh, that's really cool. Um, with this fire staff that you bought, cause I've seen, I've seen on your videos on Instagram, you have like multiple different like tools of the trade you use, like one that has two ends on it that are just one end each with fire. And then you have like this multiple ended stick that's got like five uh, contact points on each end that's lit up. What was the yeah. first staff like? So, yeah, the first staff was just, like you said, just the two wicks, one on each side. And that was just purely contact staff, which has its own separate principles and planes of motion, balance points. And to be honest, I was not very good at it. And I got really frustrated because Sometimes I pick something up and if I'm not immediately talented or like I can't get it right, I'm just like, I'm dead. I don't want to do that anymore. Um, so I did graduate to the Dragon Staff, which is the one with the multi-spines. And that one is a lot easier, I would say, even though it looks more complex, that added weight to the ends of contact staff and used what I learned on the dragon staff and like translated it to the contact staff. So it's kind of like the two complement each other extremely well. Gotcha. Um, so contact staff is the one with the two ends and then the dragon staff is the one with the four ends or did you say four wicks on the end? Yeah, you can do three, you can do four. I have seen five. Like, there are so many variations of what a dragon's going be. Um, I do have a four wick for my fire, and then I have a three wick. Well, I guess it wouldn't be a wick, but I have a three spine um, just for my practice staff. Gotcha. Now, um, when did you actually feel comfortable? Because I think I've seen videos of you performing at, like, didn't you perform at the Midway Ice Castles and things of that nature? Yeah, I did Ice Castles, I did Element 11, I did like a charity event, a couple charity events, a um, couple more independent gigs, you know, like housewarming parties or people's house raves and things like this. Um, I would say I got comfortable just doing it in people's kind of smaller, smaller scale and like working up to those bigger performances gotcha um so when you finally got to those bigger performances did you feel a lot of pressure from getting into those like oh my god like i'm performing in front of 
complete strangers or was it just a natural flow into that? It was pretty natural. Um, I grew up performing. I grew up singing in like the Philharmonic children's choir and doing dance recitals and I was a theater kid. And so I, I had a lot of that exposure to performance and Honestly, I had a lot of stage fright as a child and there were a couple times that I got on stage to sing and I just couldn't. No words came out. I choked. I ran off the stage. Like, So those are some uh, interesting memories, but I definitely had a lot of experience performing uh, for big crowds. And so I think doing the fire performance was just a natural evolution of, of that. That's, that's funny that you had uh, some stage fright when you were younger because I was the exact same way. I remember growing up and uh, in classes you'd have to do like performances where you'd have to perform a, or uh, do a speech or something in front of the class. And I would always fail those assignments because I was like, nope, not doing it. <laughs> and now at my current employment, I literally teach class sometimes in front of 200 plus people. But it was like that exposure to it over and over and over again that got me comfortable in doing it. So, yeah, but I definitely suffered big time from stage fright and performance anxiety when I first uh, when I was a young lad all the way up to probably my mid 20s. And then in my mid 20s, I got a position through work where I transitioned from being uh, a worker into a trainer. And then I'd have to teach these classes. And I was like, why did I apply for this job? This is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually just doing it over and over and over again, I kind of got used to it. I was like, oh, I can do this. I'm not going to die on stage. I, nothing's going to happen to me. So that's yeah. awesome that you were able to do that. And because uh, you, you not only do the fire uh, performance stuff as an art, but like you said, you're a singer and you've been doing a lot more uh, musical pieces on your Instagram, right? Yeah, I... I think I put it down, I put singing down and kind of put it to the wayside for so many years and I focused on the fire performance and then eventually that community um, was no longer accessible for me due to the drug abuse and just like substance abuse in general. Um, and I felt like something was really missing and I, I missed my voice and I missed how it's like a self-soothing method for me. And so I picked it back up and I've been really enjoying it and just kind of putting myself back out there. And I think it's different when you're doing it online and you are not having that face-to-face -face crowd and like worrying about the performance aspect of it, it's just easier for me to like put it online and whoever sees it, sees it and who doesn't like that's none of my concern and I don't know about it. And um, it's easier to be vulnerable, I feel, doing it, just like uploading it to social media than actually performing out. Where where do you uh, upload your are these original songs that you're singing that I've come across on Instagram or are these? Oh, no. <laughs> OK, no, I wish I was that. No. <laughs> I wish I was that kind of songwriter and composer. That would be amazing. No, they're all covers, um, covers of, you know, some of my favorite artists and some of my favorite songs. Gotcha. So you put them up on Instagram and then do you have like a YouTube channel or Facebook that you're putting them up on now or? 
Yeah, I do it mostly just Instagram and Facebook. And, you know, I've tried to upload my covers to SoundCloud because I've had a SoundCloud for a really long time. And for a lot of artists, they would like at the beginning of their career, that's what they use just to like get their stuff out there. But SoundCloud has super strict rules about cover songs. And like typically people try to get around them by putting 30 seconds at the beginning of the audio to where it's like SoundCloud can't really read that and be like, oh, this is, you know, another artist's music. Um, but even if you have the title of the song you're covering in the upload, they'll take it down. Like they're so strict about it. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, that that stuff is getting kind of insane because I've had a few of my videos um, because I do like uh, adventure videos of destinations I go. Mm-hmm. And I, I have had my camera pick up music in the background like on the street or in a car and youtube mm-hmm. will demonetize me and flag it as copyright violation i'm like no i didn't even I put the song in there <laughs> i know it's getting so ridiculous and tiktok is like you can't do cover songs now now singers are just doing acapella because like you can't have any backing track and mostly it's what is it umg universal music group they mm-hmm. own literally everything that is being put out there now and they are just like copyright copyright go fuck yourself copyright yeah just a huge 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 monopoly on it all yeah it's it's pretty crazy that's that's terrible and it sucks it really does i remember the beginning days of youtube and facebook and you could it was like the wild west you could get away with anything i remember watching full movies on like youtube that Mm -hmm. was like oh yeah i'm just gonna type it in there i'm not going to blockbuster and renting (laughs) this shit (laughs) yep yep full tv episodes like the whole season yeah i do miss those days oh yeah i binge south park on there all the time and that's gone now Yeah, I did like Scooby-Doo movies, like Scooby-Doo Zombie Island. I love that movie. And it used to be on YouTube in like a 12-part series. So you'd have to, you know, start over the next, like, I don't know, 12 minutes of the movie. But that's gone. Like everything's everything's so tightened up and so restricted online these days. Yeah, it's because everyone's got a streaming platform now that they got to protect. And everyone's, Mm -hmm. you know, and then by the time you've paid for all these streaming platforms, we're just back to what cable cost us anyways back in the day. Right. It's just like, oh, my God, it's just going to five different companies instead of one. I know. I know. Yeah, the online community, just everything is changing. But I must say, you are a very talented singer because I've listened to quite a few of your tracks or those covers that you put out on Instagram. And they're really good. I thought you were starting like brand new. I didn't know you were um, educated in singing at a younger age. So I was like, damn, man, Flynn is like (laughs) killing it. Just trying this out as a hobby. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I do have the training and honestly sometimes trying to find your voice after being classically trained and put into this pigeonhole of performance style is really hard so I think that's why I put it down for so long because it's just like oh I sound like every other musical theater kid out there or I'm sounding too classical here it's sounding too Disney princess there because there's so much technique underneath all of it that I don't really have the freedom anymore to just let my voice be my voice. And so trying to find that 
has been a little bit of a struggle, but I'm feeling more confident and like more myself recently, which has been really nice. Well, that's, it's definitely apparent that you are highly talented in it though. I'll tell you that. Um, what, Thank you. what took you out to Massachusetts from Salt Lake? Is that where you, that's where you relocated after Salt Lake City? Yeah. So, uh, I was, I was in a relationship, long, long-term relationship and, I felt really restricted and I had been going to Nantucket Island since I was in my early teens just for summers to like make good money and just have a fun summer. And so I think it was June of 2018, which I think is a little bit like right after I met you. Um, and that was like, you know, we were planning on that photo shoot and then right afterward I had this rocky ending of a relationship and I was just like okay you know what I'm just gonna go and so I left and I started you know a seasonal life on the island and un until this past um winter I had been doing that for 10 years and so it was kind of just time for me to move away from that and that's what brought me out here to Montana um, which has been like a culture shock in its own, kind of like, you know, it was starting over in Utah. It's kind of feeling the same way here in Montana, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. I bet. Were you, um, were you on your journey to sobriety when you left to Nantucket or did that start in Salt Lake? So my journey to sobriety started in 2020 and I was actually living in Austin, Texas right before COVID hit and I was, you know, heavily abusing drugs. I mean, I was, I was doing cocaine. I'll, I'll be honest. I was doing cocaine like every day, um, just to keep whatever I thought was cool about myself alive, um, in my like high mentality. And then COVID hit and, you know, we all lost our jobs. We all lost our shit. And, everything fell apart and it took me back out to the island where um, my mental health like rapidly started declining and I'm sure like, you know, the whole country, the whole world that happened and mine manifested in just daily drug and alcohol abuse. And in July of 2020, I had a major episode where I had a manic blackout because I had been leading up to this manic state. I was prescribed an antidepressants in a bipolar mind called yeah, because you're swinging way too far up. Um, so I, yeah, I had a manic blackout in July of 2020 and I was arrested. I was hospitalized. I was institutionalized and uh, when they released me, you would think that would have been the wake-up call that I needed, but it wasn't. <laughs> and so seven months went by of me still abusing alcohol every day. And I had kind of come off of the cocaine in 2020, but I was still drinking, you know, two bottles of wine in a day and absinthe for lunch. And um, it wasn't until February of 2021 that I really was just like, you know, I got to stop in order to survive. I just have to 
I have to get my shit together and and try to recoup my mental health was really like the start of healing and everything that has happened since then. And how how far along are you on the sobriety right now? So let's check the sober app. I turned to February 9th. So let's see. Two years, three months, nine days, three hours, 27 minutes, and 43 seconds and counting. <laughs> That's awesome. That, yeah. is, that is super cool. And I mean, I don't think a lot of people realize what a... I mean, I think they realize that it's tough to get sober, but it can be downright hard at times. Um, oh, yeah. I kind of the same thing. COVID hit and all of a sudden my job was I still was employed, but not in the same uh, not in the same way. So everything was slowed down. Everything was kind of boring, busy work like oh my God, because I'm like a government worker and I'm like, okay, now what are we going to do? And mm -hmm. I just started relying on, and I had always been a drinker, you know, since my early 20s up to my late 20s, I was a partier, um, just, but just like on the weekends, you know, but then when COVID hit and there was nothing to do Monday through Sunday, it was like, it became like a huge thing for me where I was drinking way too much and I always had this little voice in the back of my head saying, Hey, you should probably slow down. Hey, you should probably slow down. Mm -hmm. But, it, but then there's that other voice. that's like, I'm fine. I can control myself. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And it took me, uh, a lot of poor decisions and hurting people that I loved to finally realize I need to quit this shit. But yeah. oddly enough, I had, was following your story. So while I was in denial about my own addiction, here I was following your stories on Instagram and Facebook of you getting sober. And you were actually really upfront and honest about a lot of the things when you were posting that I was like, okay, here's someone who's, you're not the same age as me, but we're kind of in the, that same bracket. We're still younger and she's struggling mm -hmm. and she's open about it. I was like, when I hit rock bottom, <clears throat> I kind of looked to you for like inspiration. I was like, wow, her little daily struggles that she's going through. I, if she can do this, I can do this. Like I can look to this person for inspiration and keep on the right path. And luckily I'm not quite at two years yet, but I'm coming up on two full years here in August, which will be nice. And I've been doing like this research and they say year one is all about your, your health, your physical health, which was, I seen change drastically. Year mm -hmm. two, they say it's all about your mental health. And then year three, they say is like your spiritual awakening. So I'm just yeah. interested if you're kind of, if you had almost that same kind of healing process or if it's been kind of different for you. Um... Well, first of all, I want to say that I'm so proud of you and I, it's, it's so hard to do what, you know, I've done and what you're doing. And, and so it's awesome. And I'm just really happy to hear you know, that, that you're doing well and you're, you're still sober and that we're in it together. I think that's amazing. Um, and I would have to agree that the physical health was probably the first manifestation that I did notice. Um, because the mental agony of starting sobriety, as you know, is just so overwhelming because you know what you're doing is 
is ultimately the right choice, but like living without that numbing substance, it, it just goes from like zero to a hundred. So my mental health was a wreck. Like for the first three months, I think I was just crying every day. I needed to talk to, you know, I was in, I've been in therapy and I was in therapy before I got sober, but I was, you know, doubling up on my therapy, calling my grandmother who um, has also been sober for 20 plus years, um, looking to her for like, you know, advice, guidance, calling my mom, calling my dad, you know, touching base with my whole family, basically needing support. Um, but my physical health did turn around pretty quickly. Um, I think what I noticed first was a major weight loss, which, I mean, we don't think about it probably, but some people do. I didn't think about it at the time, but alcohol is mostly sugar. And so cutting that amount of sugar that I was drinking instead of eating, because it does affect you differently, like the way you ingest sugar affects you differently. And so drinking all my calories, drinking all this sugar, and then also eating sugar and not really thinking about how much sugar, it was just, it was amazing when I cut that out, I started to realize all the physical changes and like my body mass went down, I had more energy, um, my hair had been really thin, my skin was really dry, and all of those things started to kind of turn around pretty quickly for me. And so that was a major realization like, oh, okay, so it was just me poisoning myself <laughs> for however many years. And that's why I constantly felt like shit and was fatigued. And, you know, you lose bone mass. Alcoholics, they they look at them into their 50s and later on. And it's basically like early stage osteoporosis at a very young age. Um, and then, you know, the effect that it has on your liver. And so all of these things I just started to feel pretty immediately in my body. And then the mental health aspect has been a little bit longer of a process, but, you know, I think that's in part because I've always struggled with my mental health. And so being an alcoholic or not, and which I still am, but now that I'm in recovery, um, it's always going to be a struggle for me. Um, but it has gotten a lot better and having other coping mechanisms besides that numbness and just turning to a bottle for security or reward or comfort or any of these emotions and um, learning how to do that on my own and finding other things that fulfill my life. I've been so grateful for that like transformation. Yeah, it's awesome that you've been able to do that. And I mean, I had the same exact thing happen to me where I got all these uh, physical, you know, pluses. And actually, this is the first I went and did my uh, my physical with my doctor uh, a couple weeks ago, and they drew blood and everything. And my liver enzymes are finally back to where they need to be. Because that was another wake awesome. up call. They were like, uh, your liver enzymes are kind of high. How much alcohol are you consuming? And like me, oh, not that much, no, 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 right? Because right? denial. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, like I don't know, a couple of weeks. Yeah. Right. Like I would always, 
I would always fill out that stupid form and I would lie to myself. Oh, you only have two beers a day, Max. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, dude, you're like, you can kill a whole <laughs> bottle on the weekend. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, but it was cool because he was like, you're, he, they called me and they're like, your blood work's perfect. I was like, that's awesome. And I went from weighing 190, now I'm down to like 158. And that's amazing. Uh, I, I just jumped into the gym more to help keep myself busy. Cause you know, how they say idle hands are the devil's playground. Mm-hmm. And I had to, I jumped in photography more. I jumped into um, the gym more to keep myself busy and going. And another thing you don't realize is when you're inebriated either by alcohol or another substance, you make poor dietary choices. Like I was oh, yeah. eating way too much hot wings and pizza mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> and cheese bread and all this crap to where I was like, I look at myself now from three years ago, even or two years ago. And I was this puffy looking doughboy, like the Pillsbury mm-hmm. doughboy. And now <laughs> I don't look like that. And it makes me happy. And people always ask, are you ever going to just go back and maybe have like a beer here or there or a glass of wine? I was like, no, I have worked way too hard. I know who yeah. I am and I never want to go back to that monster of a person. Not that I was a monster, but that I don't ever want to go back to being who I was doing what I did to people to hurt people. Yeah. And it's like, no, this is like a rebirth. I'm a new person. And yeah, so it is. that is super cool that you're basically working on your third year and you're um, the one thing I wanted to talk to you about, too, is it's so weird for me, but emotions lately, especially with sobriety, are so heightened. Both positive and negative emotions seem to be heightened because I'm no longer numbing it and suppressing them down. Do you have yeah. that same kind of thing happen with you where it's like you love deeper and then but when the bad days are there, they can be pretty bad to where you're like, oh, all I wish I had is a bottle of alcohol, but I can't go back there. Yeah. Yeah, I have been, especially right now, um, making a huge life change. You know, like I think, what is it? There are seven seven major life stressors and it's like um, death, marriage, divorce, loss of job um and then moving moving is one of the major life stressors and i've definitely been feeling that um uncertainty like did i make the right choice and i don't know anyone here and i mean i i do know a couple people and and one of them i've become very close with and i think that touches on the loving deeper is that i have formed like a romantic connection with an amazing person and I do feel that my love for them is much deeper than people that I was with when I was in active addiction which is amazing and it's something that I've never really felt before and so that's interesting and that's new and um, I'm processing that because it has its own set of sub emotions like what is this feeling is it real what is this feeling I'm afraid of it what is this feeling it feels so good and all of these different conflicting emotions within just that love aspect and then you know I I have a lot of loneliness I I haven't really made friends here I haven't really broken into any one community I've had some difficulty narrowing down companies or you know job prospects and i've kind of cycled through more jobs in two months than i have in my whole life 
And so I've had some bad days and I have had those moments of like, shit, all I want is a beer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I'm able to pull myself out of that and be like, if I go back to that right now, A, I'm going to, like you said, I'm going to ruin all of this progress that I've made and B, those bad days are just going to get worse and they're just going to compound. And so I have been sitting with those negative feelings and honestly, I cry a lot. (laughs) I do. I cry a lot, but it's a healing cry. It's not, it's not a wallowing cry. I don't pity myself. I know that I'm where I need to be in order to grow. Um, And so I'm allowing myself to feel those things and work through them rather than feel those things and get stuck in those feelings like I did when I was still abusing alcohol and drugs. Uh, Everything you just said, I can attest, like I, I'm right there with you on all that, like uh, 100%, like even down to the, the crying stuff, like I'm not one of those, oh, my man, I can't cry. You know what I mean? Yeah. But there is definitely a, a different way of crying like the self-pity cry and then the healing cry where when that cry is done you feel like you've worked through that emotion yeah and i've definitely had those lately because i've gone through some pretty big life changes as well um and i i don't know how you do it because i've always been one of those people that's like oh yes i would like to just sell my house here in salt lake and and move abroad but that stuff is just terrifying so the fact that you're you went from Salt Lake to Massachusetts to Wyoming is, or no, you're in Montana. You're even farther up North. (laughs) It's just, that's, that's pretty amazing. I mean, just taking those risks because so many people won't even take the risk. So I got to applaud you for that. Um, In Montana, are you living in a real small city up there? Um, it's, it's an interesting place. So it's the flathead. And essentially, it's it's a bunch of small towns that make up this huge area. And so I'm currently in Whitefish, which is a little bit more of a bougie um, area. And it's actually very similar to where I came from on the island, which I told myself the next time I made a big move like this, it wouldn't be a seasonal place. It wouldn't be heavily influenced by the one percent and you know things just kind of fell into place here and that's where i ended up and that's fine and i'm accepting that um but it is a little bit smaller uh it's a little bit more intimate you know everyone kind of knows each other and all of the landscape companies they work with each other and you know they all talk and um so it's similar from from where I came on the island, but there's also a lot more opportunity here. You know, I can drive an hour away and it's going to be a completely new experience and there's going to be new sites to see and new people to meet. And that was just something that was honestly impossible on the island. Like once you're on the island, you're on the island. There's no bridge, you know, you you take the ferry or you take a plane. And if you can't afford the plane because it's hellishly expensive, then, you know, you're stuck and good luck to you. <laughs> yeah, I don't think a lot of people realize that. I've talked to a few people that I work with who lived in Hawaii and they mm-hmm. they made the move from the States out to Hawaii for a while. And they were like, for the first three months, it was amazing. 
and then it got really boring and I just wanted to get out of there. And yeah. that island lifestyle, it, it can be, I think, hellish for people or tough at least because you are in an essence kind of isolated a lot more than you would be in an open land place like Montana. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And for such as like Hawaii is a big island, you know, the the different islands, like they're they're large, but you also end up knowing everyone. Eventually you can only go to so many places so many times without actually getting to know everyone. And then so take that size of an island and shrink it by like 20. And that's Nantucket. Nantucket's like 14 miles long by seven miles wide. Wow. And you just, you are in everyone's business. Everyone's in your business. There's one grocery store that everyone uses. There's like three gas stations. There's no stoplights. It's all stop signs, you know? So uh, it gets a bit uncomfortable after 10 years of doing that you start to feel like you don't really have an identity anymore and there's no autonomy and there's no real freedoms and you get so sucked up into this vortex of like you don't even know what's going on in the outside world eventually you're just stuck in this monotony um so what brought up Montana to move to Montana was it the romantic interest or was it just did you just throw a dart at a map or <laughs> <laughs> um well so my mom has been coming to montana in the winter time for like three years now and she's always wanted our family to come up and visit her and i'm not really a cold person i don't really enjoy the winter i don't enjoy the cold and so for the past three years i'm like oh maybe i don't know but this winter, I left the island December 16th, and I went on a cross-country road trip. I've seen that. That was amazing. And I had the most fun, and it was amazing. And I honestly wish I was on the road forever. But um, after I kind of did my West Coast family tour, and I made it back in Utah, it was crunch time to decide, like, am I going to move, or am I going to go back? Am I going to, like try to further my my journey somewhere else or I'm just going to get sucked right back into Nantucket. And I had been thinking about Oakland, California, where my aunts live. And I was like, do I really want to live in that big of a city? Do I want to live in California? You know, they have their own set of environmental issues. Like, do I really want to set roots there? Um, and then my mom reached out and she's like, Hey, you know, like, since you're already in the area, why don't you come up and visit me? So I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And I drove up from Provo where I was with my dad and all the way up to, uh, Whitefish and I stayed. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. That's really, uh, that's really cool. And I got to hand it to you that I was uber uber jealous of you and envious of you seeing you travel around i was like oh man i wish i was doing that right now <laughs> yeah i needed it i hadn't been off the island for the winter in two winters and i mean forget the summers like the summers are bad enough with all of the one percenters like driving up the prices to where gas is six dollars like that's enough but the winters there are brutal 
There is absolutely nothing to do. It's gray and rainy. That island's nickname is the Gray Lady. So it's just endless days of overcast and depression, and there's a lot of suicide, and there's a lot of substance abuse. All of your friends leave because, you know, they have their lives to go live elsewhere. So I was really grateful that I had the opportunity to get off for the winter and just travel and see my loved ones and the sights that I saw on that trip. I mean, it was my best, it was my best road trip to date for sure. And then, you know, led me to this new opportunity, which like I said, it's been hard. It's been, the transition's been hard, but I'm also just really grateful to be here now. Yeah. And it it sounds like you needed that change. I would have never been able to handle that Island now that you're saying like the, the gray overcast, because I get seasonal depression usually pretty bad. The past two years, it's been better, but I've also not been abusing alcohol the past two winters. So that's probably helped out a lot, but I do get that seasonal depression. And like, just to hear about gray skies all the time, I'm like, oh no. Yeah. And it's like that for so many people there. It's, it's honestly the hardest time of year for the locals. And like I said, the suicide rates go up and because it's such a small, intimate place, you hear about this pillar in the community or a loved person by this community and they take their lives because they just can't handle what's going on. And it's very depressing. Like the whole community on the island grieves for um, And yeah, it's a place to live. And I don't, I don't, I, I tell people go visit definitely visit. I wouldn't recommend trying the seasonal lifestyle there. Even though the money is so great, I just wouldn't put your mental health at risk for that, you know? What what were you doing? Were you working in the hospitality industry or Um, I did. I did for 6 years and I was great at it. I'm not going to be humble. I was a, a great server. People loved me and I made a lot of money. But, you know, once I got sober, I'm like I can't I can't do that. I can't be in that environment. So um, I actually switched into gardening, which is another great money-making opportunity there. And did that for a couple seasons. And that's honestly what I'm trying to continue doing for a source of income because it's also just really nice being outside all day and not dealing with people. It's, Uh, It's very comfortable. It's the best. I don't, I don't envy, like I work a desk job for like one quarter of my job and mm. that's the worst part of my day. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is so exhausting dealing with people, even if just people you like, but like day after day after day, it's like, I, I don't want to anymore. <laughs> yeah. Being outside in the element, that's, that's where it's at. Like if I wasn't doing what I do, um, cause I work in the transportation industry, I would mm-hmm. totally be like, I used to work at a cemetery back out of high school. I worked for That's Memorial cool. Estate and I did all <laughs> their, that. all their gardening and stuff, mowing lawns. I, I had a hell of a time. I was like, dude, this is sweet. Yeah. And it's so peaceful. I love cemeteries. Like on the Island, that was one of my refuges. Like I would go to the cemetery and have my lunch because no one was there and everyone's bustling around going to the beach and I would just go to the cemetery and it's so everyone leaves you alone. Everyone's minding their own business. It's pretty like gravestones or tombstones or, 
you know, they're beautiful and like the sentiments that are written on them. I just find it a really peaceful place to be. I know so many people think I'm weird, but that's, I do the same thing. I will go walk around Salt Lake City Cemetery or some of the older yeah. cemeteries here and just enjoy that peaceful vibe because even the people you run into there, they're all in the same kind of headspace. They're either mourning or they're just there to be away and get away and find peace. And, and yeah. obviously all the people underneath you, they're not going to bug you. <laughs> so. Right. And they're, they're happy for the company. Like that's what I've felt. I've never felt an off-putting vibe like that I'm you know being like haunted or whatever I've always felt like you know they're appreciative if they are aware that they're appreciative of the company oh, of people coming to spend time with them yeah I've, I've spent time in graveyards at night and people are like that doesn't freak you out and I'm like you know what freaks me out being in a grocery store during the day <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's so accurate <laughs> it's like i would much rather be there <laughs> absolutely 100 percent. well hey flynn um i want to thank you very much for coming on the show sharing your kind of stories and struggles um of the sobriety with us and kind of about your life and what you're doing i want to wish you a very good time and i hope you get all you need up there in Montana. And again, just thank you very much for coming on the show and sharing all this with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. This has been a really nice time. It's really nice to talk to you and catch up and just, you know, have this chat. Oh, yeah. I really appreciate it. 100%. And we will do it again here in the future. Um, for now, though, we are going to sign off. So I am Marcus and we again have Flynn from up in Montana. I need to get up there. <laughs> That's one state I've never been to. So maybe I'll like hit you up and be like, hey, show me the sites up in Montana here soon. Absolutely. I'm like, I don't know, 20 minutes away from Glacier National Park. So oh. anytime you want to come up here, let's do it. Dude, I'm on my way. <laughs> okay. Yeah, talk about photography. You you would love it. Oh yeah, I can only imagine. We'll make it, <laughs> yeah. we'll make that happen. We'll do I'll do a trip up there. So well cool. again, thank you, Flynn, and we will talk to y'all later. Thank you. Bye.